0: It's Friday, July 2nd, 2021. I'm MASH Bennington. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Today, I'm joined by our own Jack Farley and RTM Capital Advisors Mark Ritchie. Here's what we're looking at right now. The U.S. economy added 850,000 jobs in June. It's a beat on the estimate and the best number in ten months. Uh, but the internal dynamics of those numbers, of that report, the employment situation report, uh, are more complicated than they seem on the surface. It's very much a mixed back. Jack, what are you looking at today?
1: Yeah, well, that jobs report you mentioned, Ash, it caused a classic bull steepener uh, in the U.S. Treasury market with yields on with shorter dated yields. Uh, falling more quickly and more greatly than yields on the longer-dated bond. So it's kind of a Goldilocks jobs report. Uh, at least that's the interpretation that I gleaned from how the bond market reacted, that it was hot enough to indicate strong economic growth, but not too hot, Ash, to uh, worry market participants that you know that would force the uh, Fed's hand to take away the punch bowl. Yeah.
0: Uh, U.S. equities, you pick your headline, Jack. Fractionally higher or at 52-week highs uh, on the NASDAQ and S&P? Uh, it's one of those days, and that's really what we're here to parse through today, which I think is going to be incredibly interesting. I'm looking forward to it, especially uh, pulling Mark Ritchie into that conversation. Jack, what else are you looking at?
1: You see, Ash, you said marginally higher. And you're absolutely right in terms of the magnitude. But if you look at these sectors, I think every single sector in the S&P 500 was up, with the exception of cyclicals, excuse me, energy and financials, as well as, I believe, utilities. So, it is those sectors that have been leading the reflation trade that were laggards today. Of course, the OPEC meeting today ended in a stalemate with Western Texas crude intermediate actually above $75. Ash, uh, time to welcome our guests. Yeah, and
0: I would add, talking about the fractionally uh, move, the big loser of the day, energy, we're looking at, for example, XLE uh, here on the Select Sector Spider, it's off uh, minus 0.17%. So, fractionally a uh, lower, obviously, you look at those numbers on a year-to-date basis or on a one-year basis, significantly higher uh, in the 40-plus percent range. So, let's pull in our guest. Mark Ritchie, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me guys. Can't think of a uh, better way to start a holiday weekend than talking markets with you guys.
0: Yeah, Mark, so tell us what you're looking at today. I know you've been studying the rotation trade.
2: Yeah, I think today in in some ways is a microcosm of what we've been seeing all year. And so I think, you know, you referred to sort of a mixed bag, but towards the upside. And if you look, we set we saw Nasdaq and S&P close higher, you know, presumably on the heels of uh, positive economic numbers, while the Russell closed down a percent, and this has sort of been the tale of this rally. The indexes have kind of been playing you know past the baton of leadership back and forth into terms of certain areas, and you know the rotation or bifurcation sometimes under the surface of the market has really been you know kind of the story of twenty twenty one in terms of equities as far as I 'm concerned yeah. Paint us a little bit broader picture on that. Talk about what you see
0: when you look at each of these indices uh, and why you think it's significant and what it means.
2: Well, for starters, I would say I think it means that and, and we just finished the second quarter, obviously two days ago, and the headline was hey s and p up fourteen percent you know through q two. Well, if you've been trading individual names or certain groups, it hasn't been quite as smooth a ride. and so I would highlight, you know, say, If you look where we came into the year, growth was really hot, specifically sort of the growth momentum names that led in Q4, NASDAQ related area, and even Russell post election. And then in sort of early February, those all topped out. And that's when sort of this cyclical reflation, um, almost value, Dow, financials, energy, commodities, grabbed the baton violently from growth, I would argue. And sort of pulled the market higher, and under the surface everything that led got in some cases even crushed, but we didn't see a larger general equity sell off and this is sort of what I alluded to last time where there's been this continual rotation under the surface, which has made it you need to, you've needed to be very nimble or you've needed to be very sort of hands off and just stick with the index in in order to keep yourself from kind of getting chopped
1: around a little bit. And Mark, how are you thinking about mega cap tech whether it's Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google? I think with the exception of Google, these stocks haven't participated in the broad based rally we've seen over the past 6 months. Yeah, great question and so I have been in the
2: camp of of Sort of watching very closely. I'm not. I'm sort of agnostic on big cap tech in terms of do I really want to be overweight them. But if you look specifically at Apple and Amazon, I think Amazon's even more important because it's been in a base for a year after what was a it doubled off the COVID lows and has really kind of gone nowhere. If you if you bring up a chart of that though, it's got a pretty nice cup and handle on the daily, which looks to be, you know, going to be breaking into new high ground. If that stock breaks out meaningfully, it is going to pull the market with it similar similarly with apple. so those are two I'm watching really closely. Google has been sort of the leader in that old guard mega cap, and you know I'm somebody who it's like you follow the institutions If the institutions are going to continue to put money to work, I think managers in some cases are more comfortable going well buy let's let's buy a little more Amazon, let's buy a little more Microsoft, let's buy a little more Google. Then going out the risk curve, it's sort of that growth at a reasonable price. But uh, you know, again, if you look at where they're at, they, they look like they could be at least something like Amazon and some of these enterprise software names going down the risk curve a little bit look like they may be ready to break into 52-week highs. If that happens, I think you know the extension of the bull market is on. And then the other thing I would key in on is the Russell.
1: Uh, I've got a question, Mark. How are you thinking about breadth? That is the participation within the rally. If the FANG uh, trade heats up, it could lift the market higher, even as most stocks don't participate in the rally. But of course, a uh, hallmark has been a broad-based participation. So, um, let's take a look, a little bit of a look at the uh, you know breadth charts as well as the advanced decline charts. What are you seeing there, and what do they mean? Sure, right. So, advanced decline line is something I've
2: mentioned before and something I watch. And normally, what I want to see so is simple. If you look at the index, the advanced decline line is just like a reading under the surface to say, how are the components and the parts of the larger index sort of trading relative to itself? And, you know, Jackie and I were talking offline, and I was saying, in an advance, I want to see that advanced decline line either coincident in terms of making new highs or even leading the index. So, the reason is because that just represents that there are more bulls in the herd moving things ahead um uh, it's not necessarily a it's not a perfect indicator um but more so, like if we see mega cap tech break out and the advanced decline line diverges, doesn't really make new highs or or lags pretty badly, it would tell me that the only thing that's pulling this market higher is. Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, and that there's not a ton of breadth to the rally, which, again, doesn't mean you can't participate. But it definitely means if those names start to wobble, the whole market is much more likely to pull in sharply. And if you study this stuff, this, is, this isn't new. I didn't make this up. It, it's just if you look at these divergences historically, where healthier advances tend to be led by more names.
1: Uh, Mark, let's take a look at uh, the NASDAQ specifically, and then the S&P 500. But right now, uh, let's look at the NASDAQ composite advanced decline, Very, uh, quite a wobbly chart uh, from February, especially to May. How can you interpret this uh, for us, and what does it mean? Yeah, so
2: you can see that the NASDAQ, uh, this would be an example of one that's potentially diverging. Um, I discount the NASDAQ AD line a little bit, say, relative to the S&P 500. Um, because it sometimes has some issues that hold it back because things are regularly delisted and that type of thing. This is where sometimes it's healthy to look at a number of the indexes: NYSE, Nasdaq, S and P five hundred, to give you a little bit more of a holistic picture. But let's say the Nasdaq breaks out and that AD line can't really even get going or make new highs, that's a bad sign. Or then, what usually happens when you get a little bit more of a pronounced divergence is you see, say, subsequent new highs. In the index, while either the advanced decline line goes sideways, and then worst case is if it starts, you sort of get that megaphone effect where one's going, the index is going up and the advanced decline line is going down. That's, that's really a signal to say, hey, the, the strength of the rally is weakening as the index is going higher.
3: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
0: Yeah. Hey Mark, let me jump in here. I'm interested in something that you said, which was uh, the special reference to the Russell 2000. Uh, and it's interesting also because it it plays into what you were uh, you and Jack were just discussing uh, relative to the breadth of this rally. I'm curious. Can you unpack your big picture view of the Russell 2000 for us? Why it's significant? Obviously, Russell 2000 is a small cap index, 2,000 stocks. Tell us what what it signals to you, uh,
2: and and how it plays into your view of the broader economy. Sure. Well, the broader economy, um, you know, I might leave that a little bit aside. Um, however, generally, what I would say is if you look at the Russell 2000 or how I think about it, it's just a good proxy for risk. So when it comes to our managers willing to take risk, the, of the four major indices, the Russell 2000 would be furthest out the risk curve, say Dow 30 would be you know, nearest and so it tells me if the russell can break out and if you look at the chart this is where it's kind of important you've got a pretty nice technical consolidation going back to you know february march where if you look say post october had a nice run after the election and is really just marked time well that's sort of the, that's sort of the healthy stair step action of the market now if we can't resolve to the upside or and and we've we had these type of scenarios in 17 and 18, a little bit where the Russell just kind of lagged the whole way, the Nasdaq just continued to go. Um, I would prefer to see the Russell really break out strongly because it, with with an index of 2,000 names, like you mentioned, and a little say smaller cap growth, one it will signal there's more risk appetite from managers, and it will signal potentially stronger breadth because you got an index of 2,000 names breaking out, and that's. Sometimes traders are are often fooled by they think wow I'm I'm a really good stock picker. Um, well, if the Russell's going up, it's sort of like if it's in a strong trend, you can throw darts and probably make money because you have so many names that are just kind of you know moving up the right hand side of their chart. Versus when it's just the Dow or more narrow indexes. Now whether that necessarily translates into larger economic growth, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take a really strong position. Um, but obviously, you know, I'm, the, the stronger position I would take is that the market tends to like that Goldilocks, regardless of the index. It doesn't yeah. want these big, rip-roaring GDP-type you know, prints. So low and slow, as far as growth in the economy, right. I think we'll, we'll, is the rising tide that will lift all equity boats. Yeah, that's so
0: interesting to me because you start to get into this weird like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin question which how good does the good news have to be before good news becomes bad news, right? And that's like this really weird sort of meta-analysis of basically how equity markets play the future expectation from the Fed in terms of rate hike path.
2: Right. And you know, I would argue that if you look at the response since the last Fed meeting, Really, what's been what's been pronounced back to my point about rotation? It looks like, hey, the Dow and the and the Nasdaq, you know, they passed the baton. The Dow got hit pretty hard. It went back to sort of those Nasdaq 100, bigger tech type names. Well, I think whether or not that's sort of a return to the old impulse move, growth over value, I'm. Again, I'm, I'm looking at it more in, in the short frame. I mean, that trade ran for a long time. Then we saw a painful from Feb- February to early June kind of reversal of that trade. Um, I'm not saying value's dead. I think we're probably you know, in an environment where all things being equal, so long as the Fed does not have to throw cold water on the party, which is really, I think, some of the response you're sort of seeing. If that inflationary impulse is really transitory, It it just it puts the Fed where they want to be in that hey we can stay accommodative we don't have to pull away the punch bowl and assuming your company's doing a good job and your analysis is okay in equities you know all things being equal you probably want to stay long at least to a degree yeah. And this gets you back into that sort of Goldilocks scenario that we may or may not see, uh,
0: but certainly it appears that equity indices uh, have telegraphed investor expectations uh, for the future. It reminds me a little bit, some of the days that we've had talking about this rotation trade uh, from value to growth, it reminds me of some of the go-go days I remember from uh, back in the late 90s when you would see the Dow sell off and the Nasdaq rise as people were basically dumping uh, the industrials and piling into the then new tech, I guess now old tech, I'm not sure how that works uh, names. So it was an interesting time and interesting to see that and have that
1: conversation again. Jack, why don't you jump in here? Well Ash, when you say go-go days, I was thinking the nineteen sixties. I'm thinking, Ash, you know, you're not you're not that old. <laughs> no, Jack, I am not. <laughs> uh- I want to know, So that's growth and value. Mark, how are you thinking about the hyper-growth stocks? A few names come to mind. Uh, Palantir Technologies, and then there, of course, is the ARK stocks, ARKK, which consists of DocuSign, uh, Tesla, Square, and the like. And then there's a stock called Wish, which uh, Is growing its revenues at something like seventy or eighty percent per year. All of these stocks surged in January and February, uh, and they got annihilated uh, between February and May. Since then, they've had a little bit of a rollover, a little bit of a second wave that was exacerbated by the FOMC meeting last month that you, um, uh, Mark, just talked about. So, how are you thinking about these hyper growth names?
2: Yeah, and really, sort of Ash's point about the ninety nine scenario. You just saw a reverse of that. In terms of where he was talking about how Dow would go down, Nasdaq would go up, or whatever. Well, for the last, really prior to June, we had a murdering of some of the way out on the growth, even what I would say is sort of like hyper momentum, whether it's SPACs stocks trading, not even on, on the future promise of earnings, on the future promise of promise of you know on ideas and that type of thing. If you look at the SPAC list and the highest momentum names, say from October. To January, not a one of them survived, and I mean didn't didn't have a fifty percent plus type. Uh, I wouldn't even I wouldn't call those corrections. I mean those are those are bloodlettings yeah. for the bulls, and the and this this has been this has been what I think has gone a little bit under the surface in terms of so you've had growth. Those are, these are names I t- traditionally think of, they have earnings and sales, or if they don't have earnings, they have very strong sales. So they're trading on the future promise of earnings, maybe right around the corner. And some of the enterprise software names would be a good example. Then you have further out the risk curve, no growth, maybe very little sales, or neither. And that was how many of these SPAC names. If you looked at the 52-week low list between, say, March and May, it was just full of those kind of names. Meanwhile, the Dow's chugging along. Uh, so yeah, we had this huge uh, rinsing of column, you know, weak bulls, irresponsible longs What you know, in in one niche area of the market. And so, to your point, Palantir is a really good example. Wish is a good example. Here are two companies. Their numbers look great. Well, their charts look horrible. Uh, so you know, this is sort of the old my. My short-term trader hat, I put that on, and I go, I'm not touching these. They they have some work to do before they're going to get me interested because they just look like, uh, like they've got broken legs, so to speak. They need to they need to heal up and sort of put in some constructive price action, you know, before you want to entertain them. It doesn't mean though that they're dead for good. Um, and you've seen sort of the less risky areas of growth, mega cap being one, and some of the other areas I just mentioned are trading now. Some of them at or You know, in 52-week highs for say the first time in several months, and that's reflected in the look at the Nasdaq chart. It broke out just prior to the Fed meeting, shook out a little bit, and then took right back off into new all-time highs.
0: Yeah. So we've got our first question uh, coming into us from Jeff Defoe, uh, and the question is: I'd like to hear some thoughts on VXX moving in direct correlation with SPY several times this week, including today. Boy, I guess the first question is, let's explain the question. Uh, so VXX, obviously, is, it's an ETN that's tied to the short-term moves of the VIX. Uh, SPY is the, uh, is this, is the Spider uh, S&P 500 ETF. You'd expect to see those moving in opposite directions. Today, we see them moving today and some other
1: days. Uh, yes, go ahead. I can take this. I um, so the VXX is not it does not own the VIX. You can't own the VIX. If you could, it would be the world's greatest trade because it's extremely negatively correlated with the S and P five hundred and it doesn't decay. What you can own are futures on the VIX, and I think the VXX is there. It's very sensitive to roll de- roll yield, or actually, I should say uh, roll decay, because the VIX futures curve is frequently in contango, you're actually owning something, and you're paying more for it than spot. So, uh, VXX is a very, I don't want to say dangerous investment, because it hedges against danger, but it is a money-losing investment. And if you look at the VXX from 2010 to now, you would be down something like 99.9% on that. So, I I wouldn't attribute too much uh, to the one day's price action of them diverging, or uh, going in the same direction. But I will say, in September, the VIX was going up as the S&P went up, and some people uh, were calling that sort of a, 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 an alert that there was volatility, there was a risk in the surface, and I think you did have, you know, a crash in those in those tech stocks then. So that was a, a short-term correction that was correctly called by rising volatility, implied volatility, and the SP 500. Uh, Mark, do you have anything to add to that? Not in the short term, you know. VIX. I tend I tend to
2: watch the the larger levels. I think you're absolutely right. You know, these one day, you know, where they converge, it's usually a one. It's a very short term uh, phenomenon. Uh, you know, where I find it most valuable is sometimes at the turning points. So, and I don't I don't like to pick bottoms, but where I find the VIX most useful is often okay. You have a market that is declining, and it's making new new lows while the VIX isn't making new highs that t- sometimes signals that maybe the worst of the selling is over. doesn't mean the absolute low is in. Um, and we kind of saw that, you know, going back to the March of 2020 decline. Um, so that's kind of how I think about it. But yeah, I wouldn't put too much weight on the, you know, intraday or one, two-day wiggles.
3: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N dot com.
0: Yeah, and these, uh, these ETNs like VXX are generally held for short periods of time. There's negative role yield. there's are not something that you would invest in as a long-term investment. And that's why you saw the nasty decay. Yeah.
1: Ash, can I add, you're supposed to hold them for a short amount of time there are there are some people who own them for long periods of time and they get obliterated.
0: yeah, look at the look at the two and three x uh, uh, nasdaq ETFs, right I mean, like ETNs I mean you see the same thing even though the direction is highly positive, right because of the way that they get rebased uh, and a series of other technical factors that um, are probably too uh, too wonky to even go into RVDB for ETNs.
1: Yeah, uh, Mark, I want to ask you, where do you think the puck is going in terms of sectors? Uh, or I guess it could be in terms of capitalization, whatever factor you want. But in terms of what, are, what opportunity are you most excited about now?
2: Yeah, so some areas I'm looking at outside of the ones, say, like the mega cap era, which I already discussed, which isn't, that's not nothing new. You know, I would be watching biotech. I think biotech is also a good proxy for how well is growth trading. And if you look at that, it's in it's in a decent uh, technical kind of consolidation. If that comes out, that's a good proxy for growth. And then, kind of two areas which at least have been sort of near and dear to some of the Real Vision folks, uh, you know, viewers myself included. I think the uranium uh, area is interesting, and I think the you know U.S. multi-state operator, you know, specifically in the the pot area is kind of interesting. I can talk about each of those separately or one at a time if you want.
1: Yeah, let's take let's take a multi uh, Multistate Operators or MSOS, uh, that's chart four. Uh, so we're looking at this chart now. What can you tell us about that?
2: Well, yeah, if you look at this is a, a newer ETF. Um, I'm not ideally, you know, if you do your homework, I don't prefer the ETFs. I prefer, you know, what's leading within the ETF. But this kind of has, this is the first ETF that has those US multi-state operators. And to me, if you're gonna be, you know, in the marijuana or the legalization trade or for any reason, this is the place you want to look for a variety of reasons. You guys have had Todd Harrison on a time or two. I think he's a good person to follow if you want more color on that, because uh, he's been all over this. But these companies were profitable basically when it's been illegal and uh, at least federally to traffic in this stuff, and have had no access to lending. Went through COVID. I mean, they're the best run businesses with the largest growth trajectories, and they've traded pretty well. So if you look at that MSOS. I think this this ETF only went out like you know maybe October. But if you were to be able to draw the values and some of the components back to say mid last year, they've had a huge run and then have put in a pretty healthy consolidation. And the charts just look like big bull flags to me. So okay. if they can start if they can start moving up that right hand side, I own a little bit of uh, Green Thumb, full, dis- uh, uh, full disclosure. Um, but I'll be getting a lot longer. You know, if that trade starts to resolve itself uh, up the right hand side of their chart. And I just think the growth, you know, is enormous there. And they also have this interesting, there's an interesting arbitrage there, which I think a lot of people don't understand. And that's a lot of institutions can't own them yet. Well, that tells me this is sort of that drinking way ahead of the herd. You know, Bill Miller, I think, just came out and recently said he put a position in one, but a lot of funds. I talked to one of the IR people at one of these companies and they're like, do you know how many you know, institutions are like, we can't get this past due diligence. Well, they will at some at some point. And the, if if these were listed on the NYSE, just based on the sales alone, they would re-rate pretty quickly, I think. Hmm. So how long you want to stick around for that trade, I, you know, I don't know. But I still think that's where the juice is. It's not in the Canadian names. There's not near as much growth there. Yeah, the irony is those are the publicly listed ones you know the canopy growths and the auroras and that kind of stuff that people can trade and get past you know due diligence on some of the stuff, but the real opportunity i think is in the other one so MSOS really would be the the easiest way to play it um but I think you know terracen green thumb uh Cresco cureleaf uh would be kind of the the four I would look at within that e t f even
0: Gentlemen, I'm. Uh, this is a great conversation, but I'm mindful of the clock, and I just wanted to ask, uh, Jack, tell us a little bit about your conversation with Chris Whalen that you've got coming up. Or actually, oh, I should say, it was released today.
1: Right. I actually interviewed banking analyst Chris Whalen earlier, and you know the banks report their earnings I think in in two weeks, and now that they have started being able to buy back their own stock and pay dividends since they passed their. Stress tests from the Fed with flying colors. Uh, I wanted to know what's what's going to happen with them, so I talked to Chris Whalen, and uh, I think we have a clip. Let's, let's take a look.
0: You're going to see big numbers on dividends and share buybacks. They're going to go up in order of magnitude from where they were in the fourth and third quarter last year. And then, you know, the release of of reserves from last year for the crisis we didn't have. There was no credit crisis last year. In fact, credit looks pristine at the moment. Will pretty much dissipate by the third quarter. So by the fourth quarter, earnings and revenue will be down, and it will be closer to the run rate of say a year, year and a half ago uh, versus what you're going to see this quarter.
1: So yeah, um, if you want to watch that, you can watch that on Real Vision Plus. It's available to all Real Vision Plus members. Ash, I know I'll hand the uh, the the baton back to you because I know we only have uh, two minutes left.
0: Yeah, plus tier. Great, great, uh, great uh, conversation. Uh, Mark, we've had a, a tremendous conversation here today. I think it was fascinating. We went deep into the weeds on a lot of this, got some real detail. I want to throw it to you for the last question, which is give us your 50,000 foot overview on the big picture narrative, what you're thinking, and how you take this in uh, if you've only got like a very high level explanation of what you think is happening now.
2: Well, I think the. Obviously, the bull market is alive at equities, uh, and you'd be crazy to conclude otherwise. Uh, I would argue the back half of the year, especially again, keying in on sort of I would look at Russell and mega cap tech as areas that I think are going to potentially lead us higher. And as long as we see breath, you need to stick with the trend. Uh, the other thing I would watch for is you know if we get some hotter, you know. In inflation type uh, numbers going forward, and the market starts to smell that the Fed's going to have to pull things back, I think you'll see a correction. I would still be in the camp, though. If you if you look generally, these trends don't end in a day. So the first correction, you don't want to be sitting through it necessarily, uh, but then you want to kind of see again how do the groups trade. But I would say stick with the trend. Uh, stick with potentially mega cap growth if they break out, and then if we see breadth. You know, move to new highs, that's a signal that we're going to see another extension leg of the bull market.
0: That's about as crisp and clear as a 50,000-foot actionable summary as I have ever heard, Mark. Thank you
2: so much for joining us. Like I said, I love hanging out at Real Vision. Good good to be with you guys. And have a great holiday weekend, everybody. Thanks, Mark. Great to be here.
0: Thanks so much for joining us. Everyone, enjoy the holiday weekend. Have a good weekend.